the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, how do we even begin to understand American missionaries staying in Afghanistan? And then we're joined by senior news editor for Christianity Today, Kate Shelnut. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, I will say to you personally, happy Friday. Oh, happy Friday to you as well, Brian. Uh, I saw something on the news and then read something at the Gospel Coalition that got my mind thinking, as we've been talking about a lot over the last couple of weeks, uh, is uh, the frantic uh, you know, mission to try to get people, Americans specifically, out of Afghanistan. And that has right. ended. But there's an interesting thing that President Biden has said and his press secretary has said and others have said. When they were discussing the American withdrawal from Afghanistan, they they kept tagging this line on that they were trying to evacuate Americans who, quote, want to leave Afghanistan. Hmm. Doesn't that seem – let's just start there. Did it ever strike you how odd and of a description that was? Who – why would anybody in your mind – and then we're going to talk about missionaries in particular, but but what would cause anybody to want to stay in Afghanistan? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the only reason someone would want to stay is what you just are uh, alluded to, missionaries who feel like God has called them there for the sake of the gospel, even if that means giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. Because I think most Americans want out or wanted out because yes. they didn't want to be around the danger. But then we've got these amazing Christians that make me feel like I'm not a Christian sometimes right. that are like, no, we're here. We, we are We are here because God has called us here. So the Gospel Coalition wrote an article this week kind of discussing that exact thing. Missionaries specifically who have said, you know what? I'm here for the sake of the gospel, that Mm -hmm. that we want to stay here. And so, Aubrey, let's talk specifically about missionaries. Let's say, because like you, I have a really hard time understanding. I get it theoretically, right? Sure. I've been called to these people. I've been investing my time here. Maybe they've been there their whole life. Maybe they've been there 20 years, whatever else. But in my mind, it seems like there comes a point where the danger is too high. There comes a point where mm. uh, you are facing uh, likely uh, death or, yes. or beatings or whatever else. So I do, in my heart of hearts, have a hard time getting my, my heart or my mind around people actually staying, nope, right. that plane can take off. I'm staying here. What do you think drives that? What's going on? I I know we can't speak for these missionaries, but what do you think is driving that? I mean, really, this is the call of the gospel to come and die. You know, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Like, I actually think what's driving this is the Holy Spirit conviction that they want to make disciples of all nations, even where it is so difficult, difficult, difficult to be a Christian. And the reality is even knowing that they're going to lose their lives, they are willing to do that for the sake of the gospel. I mean, this is like modern day martyrs right here. Like, I actually think this is so commendable, so brave 
it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit because I hear this and I'm like, no, 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 I'd get out. I would get out. No. And that's where I'm I, like, oh, no, these are the real Christians in the world. My first thought when you were like, I wanted to add a line when you're like, it's so commendable. It's so brave. And I wanted to add in my mind and I would never do it. <laughs> Just right, like, right. It is unbelievable. The Gospel Coalition article goes on to talk about the biblical idea about counting the cost. It says they've already counted the cost. It says these are missionaries who've counted the cost. Luke chapter 14, they've already left home, family, comfort, and security well before the U.S. decided to evacuate. Yeah. Many have been there since before the U.S. military arrived. They've been all in for years and they have no intention of coming back now. They will live out their days sharing the love of Jesus in a dark place. Uh, that is, uh, Aubrey, we've all preached the message, uh, count the cost, right? We've yes, all preached we have. The, we have. The count the cost message. But to read it in those terms, right? Like they've been there before the military was there. They know it could go badly. They've given their life here. They've counted the cost of, of security, of the maybe their lives, of yeah. family back home. Yeah. You read the stories, right, of missionaries who literally tell their families, like they say goodbye to them and just right. kind of like, this may be the last time I find this commendable. Where do where do we lose this here in America? This idea of counting the cost. Like, what oh. do we preach? How do we preach the count the cost <laughs> message? I mean, I think that's what's a little bit. It's a little sad, but there's grace for us. I think we consider count the cost as like you're, you know, if you're if you're giving this talk to youth groups, right? It's like your friends make fun of you for being a Christian. Count the cost. Or in the world, like you stand up for what is right. You count the cost. People may make fun of you a little bit on social media. Count the cost. We're not typically saying you will die. Count the cost. And, I, you know, I think this actually should put some when we use the term persecution, we need to have perspective around that term, because really, even though it is getting harder to be Christian in America, and I'm not going to pretend like that's not true. That is true. That is not the same as being killed for your faith, being mm. killed for sharing the gospel. And that is actual persecution. That is counting the cost. And that is knowing that Jesus Christ is worthwhile. Preaching Christ crucified, risen, and coming again to the people of Afghanistan. I mean, I, I don't know anything bolder, braver, more God-honoring than that. Yeah, let me – here's how the article ends. This is written by Jen Oshman. Uh, one day, a Taliban terrorist hit a gun under a fake arm bandage and entered the clinic where she and other Christians were providing medical care. Earlier in the article, it introduces you to this missionary. Uh, the Taliban terrorist opened fire and killed many aid workers, including mm. her. He mm. later said he had to. In his words, he said, if they kept doing what they were doing, then the whole country would believe in Jesus. That's why there are Americans who don't want to leave Afghanistan. And that's why President Biden and Press Secretary uh, Saki really do have to qualify their statements each time. There really are Christians from America and elsewhere who want to stay. And here's how the article ends. They want the whole country to believe in Jesus. That's mm. the answer as we wrestle with wow. why in the world would anybody want to wow. stay in Afghanistan as a missionary when they could come home and be safe? That yeah. is the answer. Well, coming up next, we're joined by Kate Shelnut, senior news editor for Christianity Today, as well as a friend of the show. We're going to talk to her about all sorts of her articles, including a Colorado school facing a shutdown over their COVID-19 response. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by somebody who's a good friend of the show. She's the senior news editor for Christianity Today. Her name is Kate Shelnut. Kate, how are you doing today? Great, thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. And Kate, all sorts of great things you've written over at Christianity Today uh, one of them piqued my interest that we wanted to talk to you about just a couple days ago. You wrote about the Colorado Christian School facing a shutdown threat over the COVID-19 response. We're seeing a lot of that here in Illinois uh, with the mask mandate and all. But please tell us the story of what's going on at this Colorado Christian School. Sure. This is one that stuck out to me. Obviously, different institutions, schools, churches, um, other places are coming down with uh, COVID outbreaks happening, and, and sometimes it's up to them or up to their health departments to decide what to do in the aftermath. But this one was kind of more serious because we had a uh, a county, this is Barrymore County in Colorado, in the like Fort Collins, Wildwood area for people who know Colorado, where they mandate after an outbreak, a school or any school, private or public, has to do two weeks of kind of strengthening COVID protocols, go back to masking, go back to social distancing, certain cleaning and ventilation stuff. And this school, in particular, after their outbreak said, hey, we kind of don't feel like that's necessary any longer, Mm. especially because the outbreak was in lower grades, and they said, why are we going to make the high schoolers go back to masking? They had their county officials come and showed them the setup and kind of made their case for, hey, we're going to do what we think is right based on the setup of our school, Um, but we we don't really think we're going to go back to that. Um, They had done masking and social distancing the past two school years after the uh, pandemic started in March, and that this school year they started out and said, hey, we're going to go back to not masking or or letting uh, students choose, their families choose whether to mask or not. Um, And and when that was their decision, they threatened to come back with a site visit, and if the school didn't comply, threatened to close it down. Um, That visit didn't take place, and now they're kind of in legal negotiations um, of whether they're going to be able to continue without uh, further penalty from their county uh, for not complying. So interesting, Kate. One of the things, uh, people that you quoted was theologian Russell Moore, and you said he said, I think we as Christians and as Americans need to have these two balancing influences, Romans 13 and Revelation 13 in our minds. He was discussing religious liberty in the early months of the pandemic, and then he says the government has a legitimate role in order and authority, and we need to be the best citizens that we can be. Can you unpack that statement for us a little bit? Sure. So one of the things that um, comes up here is not just whether, you know, a Christian institution is, is going to comply or not or exactly what they do, but it's interesting for us the reasoning behind it and when people put scripture behind um, their decisions in their response to the pandemic. And the superintendent of this school had brought up Romans 13 as among the, the minority of families who disagreed with their decision to go against the county, they were saying, oh, you're not following mm. Romans 13, which would be let everyone be subject to the governing authority. Mm. And so we've seen this come up, like you said, with um, with Russell Moore's discussion and a lot of Christian discussions of, of what point do we comply or not. Um, and I think that people can believe that and see that as true, but then think of it differently in, in different contexts. And a lot of people have said, you know, other health things that, that, and safety things that we go along with. So kind of at what point do we see it as unnecessary or even a, 
as harmful to do it? And then at what point do we say, we're not going to go along with it, but we're also going to accept the consequences of doing that versus we're going to fight back? I do think that everyone involved um, does have a sincere kind of claim of trying to do what's right. And it's just almost a matter of, of where they see the biggest pressure points or the priorities in a Christian response of, oh, are we going to be caring about um, witness here? Are we going to be caring about kind of obedience for the sake of our community here? Do we have a principle that's real specific, like a, a concept that's real specific to us that we want to uphold in what we're doing when, when two things come into tension, which would be such as like our convictions or our conscience and what we should be doing versus what our government, um, our officials say we should be doing mm. when it comes to that's good. I don't think this is going anywhere. So yeah. we're grateful for your writing. it. I also want to touch on an article you wrote a few days ago about Max Lucado. Uh, everyone knows he's yeah. a San Antonio pastor, prolific author. I'm sure many of us have read his books. He announced last week that he had been diagnosed with a serious cardiovascular condition and he asked for prayer. Uh, and, and people can go look that up exactly what it is at your article, I guess. Uh, Kate, what I find interesting there is not so much what's going on with him, because his call is very straightforward. Please pray for me. Um, but why do you think it's important for us to see these, quote unquote, Christian celebrity pastors, for lack of a better way of putting it, asking for prayer and, and seeing them kind of as people who can struggle? Why is this important to see Max Lucado going through this? Well, I think it was interesting to hear this from him after he had just been upfront about contracting COVID over the summer, or breaking oh, yeah. face after vaccine. And so he's, I think, let people in, knows that people kind of care about him and let people in on what's happening on his, in his health life. And I think that, especially for people at a celebrity level, that there can be a concern when people, uh, not that everyone's health information is, you know, to or owed to the public, right. uh, but that it's a sign of transparency, I think, and of community to say, hey, here's what I'm going through, uh, especially with someone who has such a kind of devotional, um, pastoral sense beyond his own congregation, right? He knows that yeah. followers care about him and care what he thinks, so I see it even as a gesture of saying, hey, I'm inviting you into this, this part of my life, and I want to be honest with you about... Um, kind of my plans for the future um, and, and then how I'm going to be dealing with this because um, it is the kind of thing where there's a chance of a, a really serious complication if, if uh, this, it's a aneurysm in his heart. So mm-hmm. if that were to rupture, you know, so that, that it wouldn't come out of nowhere if that were to happen. If he's going to have to suddenly have surgery and be in the hospital for a period of weeks that people will know, okay, his doctors knew about this. Um, we can be in the loop that way. But yeah, I love the idea of, of telling people um, in prayer at all levels, and, and hopefully it can tell us right to be more in tune to the people in our own circles, right the closer to us that we could be actively praying for and seeing God's work in their lives too. Yeah, I love that too, Kate. That's great. So you're the senior news editor at Christianity Today, which means you see and hear and report on a lot. And this is a question Brian and I like to ask guests who are kind of in the thick of it when it comes to evangelical Christianity. I wonder, just generally speaking, do you feel hopeful for the church right now? And if so, in what ways? Well, we were talking about this um with a lot of things that we've reported on and some things that I've come on the show to talk about, like the Marshall mm-hmm. podcast. And I, I do think we all have this sense that this is a moment of reckoning for the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in one 
Because I, I want to say, hey, if you're out there listening or if you're in your own congregation or if you're reading the news and you feel really unsettled, like, by what's happening, that there should be a sense of solidarity of, like, can we do you? That we see how bad it looks. We see the bad things um, going on, the leaders who we think are killing us, the institutions that aren't doing as well as they should, the accountability that's not there. Uh, but on the other hand, the fact that we're talking about it and bringing it to light, we see as like a necessary first step for how God will bring restoration and make all things right. Um, so I think it's, it's not as bad as it could be, right? If we're willing to acknowledge and take ownership and start working for change. So there's hope in that, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I think, oh, we're in a, a shining place right now yeah. or that I would give us A's across the board to yeah. those um, I, I think it's hopeful because we're willing to speak out about what is wrong. Mm, again, Kate Shelnut is Senior News Editor for Christianity Today. You can learn more about Kate also at kateshelnut.com and connect with her on Twitter at Kate Shelnut. That's at Kate Shelnut. Kate, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for coming back on today. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, Gospel Coalition, they ask this question. I'm going to ask it of you. Okay. Uh, let me start. Uh, let's ask it. All right, let me ask a question, and then yes. let me caveat before I ask you your response. Okay, okay. Uh, Laura Baxter at the Gospel Coalition wrote an article entitled this, Can I Get My Haircut Under a Rainbow Flag? Aubrey, before you answer the question, I would like to know where's this question coming from? Why do you think this question was even asked in the first place? Uh, maybe because uh, I I don't actually totally un- – I mean, I understand where it's coming from. I shouldn't say I don't know. Um, can Christians, I guess, engage and pay money to the homosexual population? And does it seem like then we're therefore supporting right. homosexual lifestyle? And I don't think just homosexual, but anything that maybe doesn't – um, you would think traditional uh, Christian views uh, where it's different, right? Yeah. And so uh, I think you're right. I, I think, and let me read to you where she says, the author's got this question. It says, the place where I get my haircut is a sign outside that says, we don't serve people who are unmasked, racist, or homophobic. They also fly a rainbow flag all year long. I believe in a biblical definition of marriage, which I'm pretty sure would fit their definition of homophobic. So can I still get my haircut there? I think it's a it's it's a it's a valid question. It's a valid question since they put out the sign. Yeah, that that helps give it a little bit of context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So, Aubrey, let's pretend that this was your mm-hmm. uh, chosen haircut place. Yes. You were like, man, I love the way I get my haircut yes. here. Yes. And then all of a sudden, they put this sign out, yes. flying the flag. Yes. Uh, would that cause any tension for you? Okay. And if it would, uh, or okay, if it didn't, why not? Okay. And if it did cause tension, how would you resolve that? It's a lot of questions, but okay, does yeah. it cause you tension okay. and why? Okay. Or why not? I will say, one, it does not cause me tension. Here's why. If you start saying that, can I get my hair cut where they're flying a rainbow flag, then that means you can't drive on the road because perhaps there was a homosexual construction worker. You can't work. You can't go get your Starbucks today because there might be someone who's same sex attracted that works there. Like, I think that type of line is really, really dangerous. And if you're going to draw it, then that means you're living in a bubble, period. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, 
I think the Christian, as followers of Jesus, we know full well, biblically, Jesus was friend of sinner, period. Hung out with prostitutes, hung out with the tax collectors, hung out with the ones that the other religious people weren't willing to hang out with, throwing parties, hanging out with them. So I think if we're going to follow Jesus's way, then we absolutely can get our hair cut where somebody is saying, uh, you know, where there's a rainbow flag. I think three, Christians need to be there to build relationships mm. and to build bridges to the gospel. Now, I will say, since this particular haircut place says we don't serve people who are unmasked racist and homophobic, then that's a little bit different because they're drawing a line saying um, we don't actually want you here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that a Christian has to be homophobic and believe in traditional marriage because I believe in traditional marriage mm-hmm. biblically. I think marriage is between a man and woman biblically. I don't think that makes me scared of homosexual people. Mm. So I would go there. I have no problem with it unless they were like, you can't be here. They kicked yeah. me out. Then that's one thing. That's yeah. another thing. Interesting. What I, do you think? I think it's interesting. Somebody would put a sign out. That I think it's terrible. That. They put a sign out. <laughs> Honestly, but yeah, I still think my response is the same. It is interesting that oftentimes a lot of the less, a lot of times the, the businesses or the people that feel the least tolerant to me are those who hold themselves up as the most tolerant. Right? I agree with that. Yeah. Think of the cake baking cases that we've run up against right. or whatever. Right. Uh, I, I would have no problem getting my hair cut with somewhere where there's a rainbow flag, yeah. um, you know, uh, or whatever else, buying a, uh, you know, buying a cake or yeah. doing whatever. Yes. Now, again, it does change a little bit by the fact, like you said, that a sign yeah. was put out saying we don't necessarily want you there. It's up to you whether you want to engage them. Like, hey, I see what you wrote here. Uh, explain to me what you mean. Yeah, because I might fit. This? Do I fit in this category yeah. or not? Oh, okay. I can't go here. I yeah. don't know if you consider me this, this, or this. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, but yeah, I don't think that we need to think that by going here to a place, I am all. I'm all of a sudden saying I believe everything this yeah. barber yeah. believes or yeah. whatever else. Does anything come to mind though for you where you where's a um, a line too far or a bridge too far. You said before Christians need to be making bridges yeah. and Jesus ate with tax collectors yeah. and sinners. Is there a spot or maybe does something come to mind where you go, no, but that's a bridge too far. Yeah. I mean, obviously Jesus hung out with sinners, but never, con- never um, condoned sin. Mm. And so I, I think if I'm in there and they're like, uh, <laughs> this is so kind of a hypothetical situation. But if I'm in the hair salon, I'm building relational bridges with the gospel. I'm not being homophobic. I'm sharing the love of Jesus. And they're like, would you and your husband marry us? That's a line I would not cross. I would say, no, I'm so sorry. Like before the Lord, I can't. I love you guys. I'm for you. But I believe the Bible says something different. Would that be an impossibly difficult conversation? (laughs) Yes. I'm not saying that would be easy, especially after you're building relational bridges. But Kevin and I have been asked to do a lesbian wedding and Mm -hmm. we said no. And so I... That is that's the line for me. If it was asked to condone homosexual that's marriage, good. what about you, Brian? Yeah, I, I had a very similar conversation. Somebody called our church once, and we were trying to be like, "No, everyone's welcome here." Yeah. Said, and they said, "Would you marry?" And I said, "No, I wouldn't do that." Right. And she, and she literally goes, "Doesn't sound very tolerant yeah. to me, right. or very accepting to me." Right. And hung the phone up, and right. you're like, "Okay." I think if there are, and I, nothing comes to mind of specifics here, but I think if 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 crossing this bridge is going to push me towards disobedience to following Jesus, like it's going to yeah. put me in a situation yeah. that I think uh, that would be problematic. You know, there's um, they answer the question of the Gospel Coalition this way. One, the Bible allows it. Two, it may be unwise in some situations. That's what we were just discussing. Yeah. 
three, and you touched on this earlier, it can advance the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, that that is, I think, a good framework uh, to this, this idea that we are to be in the world, but not of the world yeah. uh, and making a difference. It's not, you know, there, there are places where, there, like you said, there will be differences, but I don't think anytime Christians are trying to set up an us against them yeah. When we're trying to start that, that might come from the other side. Right, right. But, but that shouldn't be our... Our posture. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I wonder how everyone else would think out there. You can go to the Gospel Coalition and find this article by Laura Baxter. Can I get my hair cut under a rainbow flag? Certainly uh, an interesting conversation. Well, coming up next, how should we pray when we suffer? We're going to have that conversation next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad that you're with us today. One of the questions I think we're often struggling with as Christians is how do we pray in our suffering? Do we pray for healing? Mm-hmm. Do we pray for comfort? Do we pray for heaven? Like, what well, you know, there's lots of ways to kind of approach prayer. Good. And I wonder, you know, this is hard to hard to maybe even answer because it sort of depends on the circumstance. But just generally speaking, as a pastor, if you're walking with somebody or maybe even as a friend, you're walking with somebody. How mm-hmm. do you encourage them to pray or that, how do you pray for them in their suffering? So those from the li- things you listed there, I would say the answer to that question is yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we are told in Scripture, pray boldly for the desires of your heart. Yeah. Like yeah. I never. um I never shy away from praying that God would take away whatever it is that is ailing this person or whatever. And I don't think we should be like, well, you know, if God, you will this, then maybe you should. God says pray it, but then also trust that he is good in the midst of it. It's not like I'm praying if you were sick, Aubrey, it's not like, uh, you know, I'm praying, Lord, would you heal Aubrey? And then if he doesn't, all of a sudden I go, well. He's not real. Right. Like you, <laughs> right. Like we want right. to be careful as we walk people and as we, for our own lives, as we pray for healing, we want to pray boldly for healing. We yes. want to pray boldly for the desires of our heart while trusting that God is still good, even if that doesn't come to pass. Yes. And so then the other things I do, you know, we want to pray for comfort. Mm-hmm. Lord, if this doesn't happen, you know, would you provide the peace beyond all understanding? Mm-hmm. Would you provide this and give us the perspective of heaven? I think all the things you listed are important elements of it. I just, it is weird. And I I feel this in my own heart sometimes. Sometimes you want to give God the out, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so you feel guilty praying for healing because, well, what if he doesn't right, heal? I mean, right. she, your friend who has cancer, I'm sure you guys have been praying for oh, her healing yes, for the whole church however is. long this has been going on. Right. And gosh, I don't want God to get a black eye if she doesn't get healed. No, yeah. no, we trust God. He's good. Yeah. He's all powerful. Yeah. yeah. He knows more than I do. Right. Uh, and so we're going to cry out for this. And so I think it's, I think when, when we pray for people, we need to help them understand. God says, cry out to me like a child yeah. cries out to their father. But yeah. then also above all of this, we can trust him and he's good. So uh, I think that's how that's how we pray. Anything missing from there? In, no, in I, think, I think you're exactly right, Brian. And I, I think the the big note is I do know a lot of people that are afraid to pray for suffering because they're afraid God's not going to answer. And then that's going to ruin even their own faith or someone mm-hmm. else's faith. But you're right. Like the approach is to to come to the throne room with confidence and and pray boldly for healing. We know scripturally that Jesus healed all the time, still heals now. Yes. But at the end of the day, like what we also know from scripture is that the Lord does what the Lord's going to do and right. either way we worship him. And so I think you have to have you have to have that posture even as you pray for hope and for healing. Mm-hmm. Well, our friend Vanitha Reisner, she's been on the show before. 
Um, she's been through a lot of suffering in her life, losing an infant son, dealing with um, the adverse effects of polio. Oh, that story was crazy. Now Isn't I'm remembering when you said she was on her show, I'm like, who was she again? This was like, she's had yes. multiple things where if you had that one thing. That would have been enough. Like you, you would have been so bad. You could have written a book about right. it. Right. she had like three or five. I remember we interviewed her. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah she's no. been through divorce. That's like, right. I mean, she has just been hit on all sides with suffering and um, at the end of the day, she still is constantly proclaiming the goodness of God. I, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to play a clip of Vanitha talking. She's talking about what our theology of suffering ought to be. But then she wrote an article for Christianity Today about how we pray in suffering. That I thought would be really interesting to unpack. So let's go ahead and listen to Vanitha talking about theology and suffering. If the theology is if God loves you, you're going to have an easy life or you're going to have a prosperous life, then I think I would have felt completely abandoned by God. And I wouldn't have pressed into God because it wouldn't have made sense to me. Whereas I've known a lot of people that have really walked away from faith in the midst of suffering. So suffering doesn't isn't always a good thing in believers' lives because I've seen people completely walk away. I think suffering is a good thing if you see that God is good and God loves you and God can bring suffering and bring good out of it. Okay, so, you know, that's kind of what we've been talking about. If you if you think suffering is a good thing, then you can also think that God is good. Like, you can hold both things at once. But if you think suffering is just... Um, I don't know if somehow suffering makes you think God isn't good. Yeah. That's when you can get really depressed and, and not view things properly. So yeah. much wisdom in that. Yeah. I just think how I think the right way to talk about it is a theology of suffering. Everybody needs a theology of suffering. Why? Because Jesus said not uh, uh, Jesus basically said uh, when you have troubles. Yeah. Jesus did not say if you have troubles yeah. that when versus if is very important. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't say, oh, if you're one of the unlucky few who has right. troubles, there's going to be troubles. Here's what makes that so hard for 95 percent of the rest of the world. That's not a novel concept. Yeah. We live in a culture with whose greatest value is comfort. Yes. Like, I think I comfort is our greatest value. Yes. We give everything for it. And yes. so when our comfort is gone, almost like, you know, we, we lose it becomes the I don't think there's many places in the world where they go. Man, hardship means no God. Right. But because comfort is our God, Mm. when we lose comfort, all of a sudden we're going, whoa, where's God? You know, and so I I do think this is in many ways uniquely American or Western. And so we need a theology of suffering that says even in this world we live in of comfort and stuff, you're going to suffer. Yeah. God is going to be present. God is good. And how are you going to process it? And um it's hard. I think somebody like Vanitha would say, think about it before it comes. Yeah, be prepared. Be yes. prepared for the child that's coming your way. That's right. One of the things that she says in this article, how should we pray when we suffer? It's over at Christianity today if you want to read it. she She's listing some of these things that she went through that you and I talked about. When my husband first left our family, I pleaded with God day and night for him to come to repentance. When I was diagnosed with post-polio syndrome, I implored God to prolong and increase my strength. When my daughter was becoming increasingly defiant during adolescence, I asked God to change her heart. I didn't just ask for these things. And this is the point she's making in the article. I begged Mm. sometimes flat on my face, often with tears, multiple times a day. No one had to remind me I was desperate for God's help. And then she says, scripture consistently points us toward this sort of fierce, determined wrestling prayer, like Mm -hmm. Jacob wrestling with God all night. I will not let you go unless you 
bless me. That's how she's saying we should pray in suffering. What do you think about that? Brian? I think, well, I, I want to take her word for it because she she's suffered yeah. so much. Yeah. Uh, but I like the picture of Jacob wrestling with God. I mm-hmm. think, you know, prayer is often we look at it like, you know, a vending machine or just kind of meekly like I'm going to present these. But instead, it's like this wrestling and this crying out and this working things through. And so I, I, I think this picture of Jacob and God wrestling, yeah. I think, is a beautiful picture of what prayer looks like. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you know, we've talked about this on the show. My second book is a book on lament, and th- that really is the heart of lament right there, mm-hmm. that you are crying out to God, crying, 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 angry, 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 all, I mean, everything you're throwing at God until you find his presence in the midst of your suffering. And sometimes that can take a really long time But what's beautiful about the Lord is even as we cry out to him, he does meet us there. I mean, the promise of scripture is that we have an Emmanuel God who is with us in our pain. And I I do think anyone who has suffered and has held on to Christ can testify to that, that God shows up even as we're wrestling through suffering. Well, we hope that that encourages you today. If you're going through something difficult or walking with someone who's going through something difficult, you can wrestle, you can pray. And you can trust that at some point God will show up and will use your pain for his glory and for your good mm-hmm. somehow in a way that only God can do. Mm-hmm. Well, coming up next, Brian and I are going to do one of our absolute favorite things to do. That is a top five list. We can't wait for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are about to do one of our favorite things to do on the show each week. And that is Top 5 Things with Brian and Aubrey. And as you know, part of the reason why we like Top 5 Things with Brian and Aubrey is because we like the little jingle that goes with Top 5 Things with Brian and Aubrey. So let's go ahead and hear that. Top 5, Top 5, Top 5... Top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Every time. I just absolutely love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I feel like we should get our producer, Debbie, live on the show to sing that for us. I don't think she would enjoy that. At some point. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be a real gift to everyone. Okay, Brian. Yes. Today's top five list is... Top five board games. Right. Which you were uh you were having trouble yeah, with. Yeah, this was your suggestion. And you I kept was like sending me things like, can it be, can it be a card activities? Game? Can it be I'm like, you can make whatever you <laughs> You're want. You're like, it can't be puzzles, it can't be, it needs to be board games. I tried to stick within your board game regulations. No, I think I did it. I think tried. I did it. I did it. Sort of, sort of. So I've got even some honorable mentions here, so I'm ready. Okay, I would like you to begin because I feel like you brought this to the table. This is your deal. So number five. Number five for me is a lot of these you're going to see. They're old school, older school. Okay. Uh, Number five for me, Scrabble. Scrabble. I love Scrabble. You spelled words. Yes, that is the very simplistic. What a neat game. That's a very simplistic (laughs) way of describing Scrabble for points and this and that. But yes, Scrabble, you spell words. That is their thing. Yes, Scrabble, number five. Scrabble. Okay. All right. I I have a little bit. I'm kind of judging you you a little bit. um, All right. You can judge all of mine because they're not that great. Oh, I will. Okay. My number five is 
Pictionary. I hate Pictionary. I love Pictionary. Brian, this is going to be another top five list where we have nothing in common. Let me tell you why I hate Pictionary because I I am not a good drawer. Drawer. What? Drawer. (laughs) You're not a good drawer? (laughs) Where are you from? New Jersey? That's funny. You're a New Jersey accent. Mario. (laughs) Drawer. I am am not good at drawing. And so I always feel like I'm I'm, uh, out there. But, you know, okay, Pictionary. That's okay. I'm terrible at drawing, but I think Pictionary is so fun. I like Pictionary. All right, Brian. Number number four. four. Number four. Uh, for me, is Trivial Pursuit. Oh, that is on my list, but it'll be a little bit higher. I like Trivial Pursuit a lot. Okay, we had wow, we had an agreement. That's yes. wow, that's a we deserve stickers when for that. You start to put in those little triangle pieces. Mm-hmm. It's very satisfying. Yes, yes, You're probably yes. good at the sports category, I bet. Oh, yes, I am. Yeah, yes. that's my that's my terrible I'm terrible at that one. Okay, my number four. This is where I cheated a little bit. It's okay. a card game, but it's based. On a board game. Rationalize all you want. Go okay. Ahead. It is uh, the Monopoly card game. Why not just Monopoly? Because Monopoly takes 400 years. It's true. It's weeks true. and weeks of gameplay to play a round of Monopoly. The card game you're done in 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, worst board game between the two. Monopoly. And you've got to play till the end. You okay. Have to finish okay. This you game. have to finish. Monopoly or life. Take a chance. Find romance. All your dreams may come true. Oh, I don't like life at all. I'd rather play Monopoly. So we need to we need to just cut out that piece for to use it. Whenever you just go, <laughs> I don't uh, like life. I don't at like all. life at all. <laughs> Have you heard of this Monopoly with the credit cards and the debit cards? That Dave Ramsey is is just sweating somewhere right now. I was like rolling over in his grave, but he's very much alive. <laughs> that's the one I want. I've heard that's a fun one to play. All right, Brian. All right, number three. And for me, this could be the this would be the most one that you can raise qualms with about whether it's a board game. I okay. say that it is. Number three for me, checkers. Checkers. I, I love checkers. Do not like chess. Okay. Uh, love taught my kids how to play yeah, checkers. Checkers is fun. I, like uh, yeah, I can give you checkers. Thank that's you. fun. I feel like if you're going to add checkers to the board, though, to the list, then you can add that game at Cracker Barrel with the golf tees. I do love that. Yeah, that counts as a board game, though. That was really smart of Cracker Barrel to do that. I love the Cracker Barrel, by the way. Yeah, Cracker Barrel is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have a Cracker Barrel top five list at some point. All right, my number three. This is actually a kid's game, but it is my favorite game to play with my kids. It is called Disney I Found It. And it's like an I Spy game, but you're going through the Disney World, and it's so fun. Disney. And you have to get to the top before it strikes midnight. What I love is that our producer, Debbie, has to put these onto the list that then goes on social media. <laughs> this is going to be public. to write, Disney, I found it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deb, it's I, as in, you know, the blink of an eye. I found it. <laughs> it's got a double entendre there. That makes it even worse. <laughs> Number two for me, and I'm interested to know if you know this game, because this I grew up playing this game. Oh, okay. Really love this game. Taught it to my kids. Uh, It is called Rummy Cube. Oh, so Kevin played Rummy Cube growing up. I have never played Rummy Cube before. Oh, it's a really good game. And that's a board game? It is. It's number tiles, and you you know okay. they're, they're okay. color and also sequential. So you got to basically you have to empty your board, and it's wonderful. Like, okay, I don't know what else. I was going to say like mahjong, but no, probably not. I don't know. Okay, it's, it okay. has a card game feel, but it's tiles. It's good. Ask your husband. Okay, okay. has been married like twenty, twenty one years. You said he plays Rummy Cube, but have you never played Rummy Cube with him? I don't love games, as we see from my list. But you love your husband. That's true, but he doesn't. I mean, obviously, if it really mattered, I would play Rummy Cube. Do you with know him. what would matter to him? I'll bet you, if if on your way home tonight you texted him, sweetie, 
I'd really like to play a game of Rummy Cube tonight, just out of the blue. Because we know he's not listening. So just out right, of the blue. Right. Hey, dear. Hey, we, honey, this we, was just on my mind. Can we play some Rummy Cube tonight? You think I'd win some wife points? I think he would be so like, where is this going from? <laughs> he would be like, what? Why? <laughs> uh, no, I want you to do that. That okay, would be wonderful. Okay, we'll see what happens. All right, Brian. Oh, wait, we, we need to do honor. No, I haven't no, done my number two. number two. Yes. Okay, I-, I wonder if you've heard of this game, too. This is a game we play all the time as a family, but we didn't know it was an actual board game until recently. So I'm going to say the name of the board game, but we haven't actually played the board game. We've played our homemade version of it. It's a game called Telestrations. Oh, yeah. Sort of like telephone, oh, but yes. you draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a fun game. That's good. Yeah. So you're saying you kind of invented a game that actually ended up actually It is funny. Like my son had this idea for a game where you draw and then you turn it over and you write it and then you draw, you know, and you and it's a great game. later someone told us this is an actual game. Is, game. We never knew. Fully, I think your son knew that that existed. He may have and just <laughs> took took, uh, took uh, the, you know, the ownership for it. Okay. So my two honorable mentions, uh, we're going to go old school on both of them. Okay. This is a little more nostalgic. Okay. I'm going to go with Connect Four. Oh, that's a fun one. Yep. Oh, man. When you get your kids playing Connect Four, that's fun. That's yep. fun. Yep. Uh, and the other honorable mention, Battleship. Oh, I don't like Battleship. My youngest daughter, every now and then, she'll just be like, Dad, you want to play Battleship? And every time she asks me, I'm like, yes, I do. Huh. Okay. All right. There's some strategy to that. I like Battleship. Okay. All right. You have no honorable um, mentions. I right? actually added one. Okay. Since I gave you the Monopoly card game, I do like playing a version of Monopoly called Monopoly Gamer with my kids because it's fast paced okay. and you're different Mario characters and there's challenges along the way and you collect coins like you do in the Super Mario games and you this go through like tunnels and it's not it's on a board so it's pretty oh, fun okay. yep. Yep. Okay. it's fun all right, my number one all-time board game <gasps> is... I grew up playing this, especially I have memories of playing this with my grandmother. Okay. Uh, and then Carrie and I, we went through a season early in marriage. We would play this. Number one board game, Yahtzee. Yahtzee. I love That's yeah, sort the of large a mathy. trait, the Yahtzee. It's a mathy got, game, right? Sure, sure. But it's, one. you know, it's... You're rolling dice, rolling you're getting dice, yes. full houses and stuff like that. Exactly. So I love Yahtzee. That is Teaching my number one Teaching you to gamble at a young sure, age. Sure, it's okay. wonderful. Okay, all right. My number one was your number four. I'm going with Trivial Pursuit. As number one? Yes, but Trivial no. Pursuit, pop culture. No, you can't that specific, it. I'm not changing it. It's an iteration. Trivial <laughs> Pursuit, pop culture. Is my favorite of the trivial. I love me some trivial pursuit, and I always have. I love trivia. I do, but only pop culture trivia. Only pop culture. I also like Trivial Pursuit Harry Potter. (laughs) That one could slash pop culture slash Harry Potter. All right, Uh well, that's our top five board games. What did we miss? What do you like? We would love to hear from you on our social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Common Good Talk. We'll see if Brian and I ever play a board game together on air. your husband play Rummy Cube. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, be sure to come back. We will be here on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.